0: Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA Charter Holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial.
1: And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners.
0: The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners
1: each episode we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way because money is a tool and when you understand the language of money you can make better decisions to improve your financial life hey james hey scott
0: it's another week of real personal
1: finance another week happy to be here happy to talk about finances and uh talk about something topical
0: yeah absolutely and because you know we're we're, it's it's kind of sad to me because we're probably going to get to do this for like another nine months the u.s is going to be financially literate because everyone does such a good job of sharing this podcast so everyone's going to know all they need to know about their personal finances and we're going to be done
1: yeah but until then we'll keep going okay sounds good yeah (laughs) what do you want to keep going with today
0: well, today, I know you know we've been doing having a lot of fun bringing elements into the conversation with the listener questions. Um, if you do want to have a listener question answered, please feel free to go to realpersonalfinance.co, hit submit a question, and we will get you underway with that. Um, today, though, it's that time of the year where we get to repeat ourselves in a slightly different way because it is open enrollment. All right, all of you W2 employees across the land. So it's a time to be really mindful before you carve up a turkey um, about your enrollment at Mm -hmm. work. Let's make sure you're not leaving money on the table. So today we're going to chat through what we think are the main things we would want to be looking at with one of our clients as open enrollments here.
1: Love it. Let's start. And in open enrollment is there's, depending on your company, there could be dozens and dozens and dozens of choices, or maybe there's only a handful of choices, yeah. but we're going to focus on maybe the four or five, six or so most, in our opinion, most important to the most amount of people choices so that you can make sure you're getting those things covered.
0: Yeah. It's really like they're the, they're the ones that have probably the biggest, um, the biggest lever in them. Right. It's like, man, if you get these right, you're probably putting a, as much money in your pocket as possible and letting that benefit really work for you. So yeah. we'll focus on those with some, with some other ideas that you might want to pay attention to. And if you don't have employee benefits, um, you could also think this through. It's just you have to think it through personally rather than the employer just giving you a list of options.
1: Right, right, exactly. What one do you want to start with?
0: I think we start with the one we probably look at straight away because we always worry that people aren't taking care of their future selves, Um, retirement. Retirement. All right. What does retirement mean? Do they give us a retirement package? Yeah. They just tell you that you're good. Actually back in like the, you know, 60s, 70s and 80s, that is what they did. You just got a pension when you had retired, put in your time, get your gold watch and get the pension. Now what we're talking about is 401k contributions. If you work at a nonprofit, that could be called a 403b. Um, You might also have, if you work at a nonprofit, something called a 457. Um, where do you want to start with that? Let's start, yeah, start with retirement. And really, for the most part,
1: it comes down to your contributions. As Scott mentioned, in the past, you had pensions. Those are called defined benefit plans where you just worked accrued service credits and yep. they paid you a pension. Uh, today, it works differently for the most part. You work, you can put in your own contributions, but it's up to you to create that retirement Typically, this means uh, setting up your 401k. And and this is one of those things where you can usually do this throughout the year. It doesn't have to be done during open enrollment, but while you're checking in on everything else, it is nice to make sure that you are looking at your 401k. And really, Scott, from our standpoint, at a minimum, we want to make sure that people are putting in enough to get full advantage of the match. So if your company offers a matching contribution... Say, if you contribute 3%, they'll match 3%, or if you contribute six, they'll match three. At a minimum, try to take advantage of that. The better approach to it is understanding how much do you need to save for retirement to be on track, how much of that saving should be going to the 401k in and doing that there. But this is where we want people to start. This is going to be one of the most effective tools for building your uh, wealth in terms of future retirement income the majority of that for the majority of people is going to come from their 401k.
0: Yeah. And so with my, I'm apologizing to all of you on the YouTube channel right now, because I'm writing left-handed with an Apple pencil, because I don't know how to write right-handed and I just have horrible handwriting. Although according to my friend, according to my friend, he's like, you always write left-handed. You should have nice handwriting. I don't. Anyway, I wrote retirement. Then I said 401k. 401k can easily be a 403b or 457. And then contributions. What percentage of your income are you contributing? And our goal would be we would at least ideally want to see you getting the full match. And the full match is typically written something that, like, um, I'm gonna put five or five or six percent typically gets you the full match of usually four, right? It's it's usually it, that's usually that's usually the math, right? It's usually like three percent, a hundred percent of the first three percent of your salary plus fifty percent of the next two, five percent gets you a 4% match. So if you just do that, you should be able to contribute 9% of your income to right. a 401k, which is a pretty right. nice place to start. The other thing I would think about while you're doing that is I would ask a couple other questions. What's your asset allocation? What's, what's asset allocation mean? Look... <laughs>
1: I'm trying to read along as you're writing. This is it's uh it's great. It's
0: really, it's really bad. It <laughs> is, but but I said asset allocation, so you know what that means.
1: Yeah, it's like it's like hieroglyphics. You can follow along if someone's telling you what you're reading. Um, what well, asset allocation is? How are your assets allocated? What percent is in stock? What percent is in bonds? What types of stocks? What type of bonds? That looks great. That spelling of asset. There we go. Um, sorry, I don't mean to.
0: Yeah, you're oh, welcome fun. to make fun of me. I'm, I have no problem with this. I'm eventually going to get you in surfing, and I'm going to make fun of you. Scott um, is a much now, better
1: financial planner than uh, writer. Not writer. Thank calligraphy goodness. at calligraphy. Thank um,
0: goodness. <laughs> I should what be I a saying, doctor. Yeah,
1: you, you you would make an incredible doctor uh, with this here, writing prescriptions that no one could decide. Agree, except for the pharmacist.
0: I agree. Except
1: for the pharmacist. Um, Asset allocation is how not just choosing how much are you going to contribute to your plan, but how are you going to have those contributions allocated, invested, spread out? You're going to have a whole bunch of investment options. Some are going to be conservative investments. Some are going to be growth investments in determining what's that mix going to be for you and how does that align with your specific goals for what you need. Um, While you're doing this, Scott, one thing that I want to point out is a lot of people say, oh, I'm, I'm maxing out my 401k. Really, what they mean is they're maxing out the employer con- the employer max. Yes. So, for example, yes. if your employer says we'll match 3%, if you put in 3%, to use a simple example, people say, Oh, I'm putting in 3%, I'm maxing my 401k. Well, you're maxing the matching portion of it, but you're not maxing the IRS limit, which for 2022 is 20,500 if you're under 50. I believe in 2023, that goes up to 22500 Correct me if I'm wrong, Scott. And if you're 50 or older, I think it's, it's well, it is 27000 for this year. I believe that goes to
0: 29000 for 2023. Well, for now, we're going to focus on this year. And I think you're right for next year. Yeah. And I wrote in hieroglyphics 401k contributions max Yeah, is $20,500 and $6,500 catch up as well. Yeah. I think those are the main things for 401k contributions. The only thing I think I would add to that, and I don't know if I can do that. I'm actually, I think I just have to hit a race. This is my first time using this board. So this is all news to me. But the other thing that I would think about adding is um, after tax contributions, question mark. I just put ATC. What are after tax contributions and what do we want to think about them for 401k's?
1: Yeah. So the IRS gives you a limit of pre-tax contributions, meaning they cap how much you can put into your plan and have those dollars also save you money on taxes. So pre-tax contribution means you're not paying any federal or state taxes as those dollars go in. Once you hit that cap, though, some employers will also offer after-tax contributions, which means you don't get a tax deduction for putting those dollars in. But if your plan offers it and if you're on top of your planning you can do an after-tax contribution and then convert that to your Roth 401k. And then all the growth on those dollars happens completely tax-free. So this is the concept of a mega backdoor 401k contribution or mega backdoor Roth is fund the after-tax contributions, convert it to Roth, and that those dollars grow tax-free forever.
0: I'm like 99% in agreement with you. I would just to clarify even a little bit more, even if your company doesn't offer Roth conversions for what's called an in-service Roth conversion, you may still be able to do after-tax contributions. So I might be able to put $20,500 away, and then I might be able to put away the rest up to the maximum, which I think was 61K this year, right? So then Mm -hmm. what happens is, is I can put away that difference. I might not be allowed to convert it, but I can still put it away and let that everything inside can still grow pre-tax at that point. The mm-hmm. perfect version that James gave is that we're allowed to do an in-service Roth conversion so I can put away all that extra money and then I can just convert it to Roth and let it grow tax-free for the rest of my life. Yeah. But the both yeah. are important. So look at them and see if you have them. Now remember that always comes back to the idea of do you have the cash flow to make this savings work? Don't go save money And then go run up a credit card balance and pay 14% on your credit card. That will not help you, right? Then you're actually working against yourself rather than helping yourself. Did I explain that clearly? Clear enough to me. I think so. Okay. So I think that pretty much nails that component. Retirement, that's a big one.
1: Again, just to reiterate, this doesn't have to be done during open enrollment. It can be done throughout the year. But while you're checking everything else, this is a good time to stay on top of it. Yep. What would you want to cover next once retirement's? in place what's your next big thing?
0: I think the next biggest thing is is insurance is kind of as a whole but specifically health insurance because it's something that people it's like it's I mean there's physicians that don't understand their health insurance. Yeah, right? And you'd think that they should because they're in the space, but the thing is it's so convoluted and so hard to understand. It's just a mess and sometimes you just want to throw your hands up at it, but I think it's really important To take a look at health insurance to make sure you choose the right plan for you
1: yeah yeah and it's you know you're you're going to have options when you enroll in health insurance and some of these options you can pay more money in your monthly premium and then when you go to the doctor when you have routine visits you're going to pay less for each of those or you might have a lower co-insurance rate you might have a lower cap on how much you're out of pocket or you might have the opposite you might have a high deductible plan where your premium is much lower. So the amount you pay to your health insurance provider each month is much lower, but you're responsible for more out of pocket before insurance really starts kicking in. So there's a little bit of a game that you need to play. And obviously like anything, some of this is just unknown. We don't know how many broken bones or surgeries or emergency visits to the hospital we're going to have each year. Hopefully none, but the reality is life happens. So if 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 you have some idea of how often do you typically go to the doctor, um, are there any major health concerns? Are there any prescriptions that you need? Uh, It's going to give you a starting point for understanding what's the total cost of all the different options you have. Some is a higher monthly amount, like I said, but then a lower out-of-pocket amount to the doctor when you need to see the doctor. Others are a lower monthly cost but a higher amount when you go to see the doctor. But if you never see the doctor or don't plan on plan on it. At least it can be a lower total cost. So it's really coming up with what's the right plan for you considering things like likelihood of needing something. Maybe if you're planning to have a pregnancy or a child, okay, that's going to be different than in a year where you're not going to be pregnant or have a child. Um, if there's a year where you're going to have a surgery, that's going to be different than a year where you're not planning on having a surgery. So all these are the types of questions you need to ask is what's the right coverage for what you anticipate the next 12 months to look like.
0: I think that's a really good frame. And while you were describing that on the YouTube channel, I'm just with my hieroglyphics writing health insurance, and then which would I choose? And I put PPO, which is commonly like the higher end option that you're describing. And then the other is HDHP, high deductible, high premium with HSA, health savings account. And if I just break those down for you listeners, think of it this way. You're gonna go look at the employee benefits and you're gonna see that if I choose, now I'm just gonna explain it the way I would have for myself. So I'd say, okay, Amanda and I with our boys are gonna choose one of us is employed. We're gonna choose the family premium for either of these, right? And I'm just gonna make up numbers right now. So let's just assume that this PPO plan costs me a thousand dollars a month. And now I'm just making up numbers, right? And then I'm gonna assume that the HDHP plan would cost my family $500 a month. So one's gonna cost me 12,000 a year and the other's gonna cost me 6,000 a year. Does that make sense so far? Yep. Okay, now for the deductibles, let's just, the deductible is how much do I have to pay outside of my premium when I go to the doctor? in specific circumstances. So PPO plans are typically designed so that you'll have a little copay when you go see your normal physician, or you go see a specialist, you're kind of just hitting these little copays, And then all that big bill gets submitted to the insurance company. And if there's anything left over, you have to pay the deductible until the deductible is met. Now, James, what do you typically see for a deductible for a family on a PPO? Just throw out a number and it's okay if you're wrong. 3,000. Three thousand. I'm totally with you there. I think that's a reasonable number for this. So that'd be three thousand annually. So if you want to think of that as max out-of-pocket costs, and I'm not even building in co-pays here, I'm just going to say this is costing me fifteen thousand. Does that make sense? Yep. For the PPO. Okay. Cool. Now for the for the high deductible plan, we're going to assume we're making that five five hundred dollar a month payment. I'm going to write in parentheses six thousand parentheses. This is 12,000 over here. And if you guys want to check this out, just go look at the YouTube channel and you'll see it. Just go until you see a little Hieroglyphics of health insurance show up on YouTube, and that's when you dive into the conversation. Um, When you think about the deductible for an HDHP plan with HSA for a family, what do you think their total deductible is? And we're getting into weeds because there's actually individual deductibles and family deductibles, but what do you think the max out-of-pocket, let's just assume worst-case scenario, I run up a big bill and Lucas runs up a big bill. What do you think our max out-of-pocket is in Um, network?
1: uh, Say 8,000.
0: Okay, I'm actually going to say 10. Say I'm going to go, go even higher because I'm just going to say it's probably that. Like, I think you were probably about right for the individuals, but Individual. usually for the family, it gets even higher before we have start hitting that max out of pocket. So I'm just going to say the max out of pocket here is going to be 16,000 now. Does that make sense? Yep. So it was 6,000 of our premiums that we pay through the paycheck. But now we have to show every time we go to the doctor, we're just shelling out cash left and right. Mm-hmm. right? So that's 16,000. It's slightly more than the PPO, but wait, can I save to an HSA account?
1: You can save to an HSA account. Can this I save a pre-tax thing. to an
0: HSA account?
1: You can save pre-tax to an HSA account.
0: How much am I allowed to save to a pre- HSA account? Was Let's it 6,300
1: this year? 6,300?
0: I think that's about right. I think uh, I think it actually might be high. It's 7,300, wasn't it? I think
1: seventy-three. Um, 73- Gosh, we should know. I'm going to say it's 7,300.
0: Guys, this is the whole point. Like, we don't always know the exact number, but we can always go check that exact number, but we know how the frame works. Now, the key is we get to save that money pre tax. So we can actually use that to help pay those deductibles along the way if we need to. Ideally, we've talked about this before on the show. We don't need those funds and we just invest them for our future. Correct. And then my other question was, yeah, I thought that's what I thought it was. My other question would be, is there an employer and I'm writing horribly here, but is there an employer contribution? Uh, Contribution. And I'm putting a question mark because I've seen a lot of plans where the employer contribution will be something like a thousand for the individual or 500 for the individual. And then they'll double it if you're a family or a couple. Mm-hmm. So now I'm not putting $7,300 of my money away. I'm choosing the HDP plan, HDHP plan, but I'm getting $2,000 benefit from my employer. Right. Right. So again, then the math starts to shake out that the, it's probably better to have the HDHP plan with an HSA from a math perspective. Yeah. But then there's always it, the emotional perspective. The
1: emotional perspective of wait, now I go to the hospital, that's a huge burden, or it feels like a much larger burden. Right. Because you don't realize, okay, well, have been paying less per month though. So at what point does it offset financially? But then also to your point, emotionally, what are you more okay with?
0: There's the objective. This is the math. And there's the subjective. How do I feel? Yeah. And for some of us having to shell out money every time we go to the doctor and getting the bills back after insurance to adjust the amount, and we just have to keep paying it until we hit that $5,000 deductible. It just makes us feel horrible, even though we're probably paying less than using the PPO plan. If that's you, you might want to choose the PPO plan. If you're totally cool with the math and how it all works, and you're a healthy person, (healthy's in quotes, because we never know if we're healthy. But if you think we're healthy, we're not going to have major surgeries this year. No one's pregnant in our family this year. Well, then an HDHP plan with HSA might make a ton of sense. Yeah. But you have, this is a frame for you to figure that out. Do you think we're missing anything?
1: Um, I think we are hitting the most important pieces. Agreed. But let's move on for yeah. timeliness. Yeah. We want to respect people's time. We appreciate Absolutely. you listening. And uh, that, was, that was helpful though. Check us out again. Shout out YouTube, real personal finance. Some of what we're talking about is gonna make a lot more sense when you see Scott's uh, outline of it. and break Horrible down costs. handwriting. Yes. Scott has a Rosetta Stone where he breaks out the uh, high deductible health plan versus PPL. And it's a beautiful thing to see. So, check us out on YouTube. (laughs) Yeah. What's next?
0: So, I think next would be the other insurances that we would want to pay attention to. Now, dental and vision to me are almost throwaways. They usually cost so little, and the benefits there, if you need it, that it probably makes sense to use. You still have to pay dental out of pocket almost always. Vision, if you need, if you know you need glasses or something coming up in the year, like pay for it, makes sense. If you don't, don't. I mean, those seem pretty straightforward to me. You? I
1: agree. uh, Pretty straight. Look at your plan, read through your plan, see what it actually offers, but it's, you're, you're not going to ever make tons of money on these benefits or save tons of money, nor are you ever going to go bankrupt by getting this one wrong. It's really just marginal benefits or, or not, but read through your plan, but not, not a make or break benefit.
0: And to your point, and I'm just bringing it up back on the board. Like the reason why, that actually these the, those benefits, including medical, aren't usually make or break is because they're actually not very insurable. So I'm just drawing a picture of like a normal distribution or a really bad one. And a normal distribution just means what's the likelihood that some event happens? And what we want for insurance is anytime something's over on the left side, meaning like the percentage chance of it happening is really small, but the magnitude of it happening in our life is really big, like oh my gosh, I really need lots of money. Yeah. That is an insurable event. So dental, the reason why it's not very insurable is because everyone needs it, and like you can't really run away from that, right? And the same yeah. envision similarly, and medical similarly, the way the way we treat because we look at it holistically, we don't just treat acute care needs in insurance. Like I need, I had a heart attack, I need a surgery, but something we can talk about next. Would be life insurance and disability.
1: Yes. Very important ones. Um, And these
0: are, these do hit this marker of small percentage chance of it happening, but really big magnitude if something happens in your life.
1: Yes. These are two of the more important ones. And with life, what what does life insurance typically look like with your employer? Do you typically get fully funded there? Is it partially funded or partially covered? How do you think about life insurance coverage through? Workplace benefits.
0: I think what we typically see, the thing I normally see, is the base benefit, which the employee doesn't have to pay for, is some multiple of salary. Right. And it's usually like one to two times. Right. Is no- so you is make hundred grand.
1: See. You make a hundred grand at your company. They might just include a hundred thousand dollars of life insurance coverage or two hundred thousand dollars of life insurance coverage. Yep. If you want more, you start paying for it, and they'll quote you some premium per 100,000 or some premium per whatever the unit of measurement is to, to add on top of that. Do you recommend people add on to that? Do their workplace coverage? Do you recommend they do something different?
0: For me, it's rare. So what I usually do is I like to see clients get anything they need in addition to the life insurance that extends through work. I prefer for them to get it privately through an insurance company. And what I mean by that is rather than go through the employee benefits, James, I'm just going to figure out how much income you need for you and Ashland to live a great life. And then I'm going to, the other thing that we're doing here is we're basically saying this guys, like if you go look at the little YouTube channel right now, I'm just saying like my way of solving this for James is I'm just going to say, James started out of college with $0 in his pocket. Up. Oh, It's not letting me really draw zero dollars. And in here, there's going to be some future millions. And over the course of his lifetime, this is life. What happens is, is we start with all this human capital, basically all of the money that James is going to earn in his future. And the below the line is what we call financial capital, the money on his balance sheet. And when he's young, we need a ton of protection for human capital but eventually he's going to become financially free and we don't need that anymore. So mm-hmm. what I like to see for, for clients is I want to see them get enough life insurance privately held that they are covered when they're young for a rough estimate of the human capital that they need to protect themselves and their families. And then that way makes it, that just makes it so that when you write it, when you're young and you hold it privately, you can, you can leave your employer and you don't have to go rewrite insurance. Yeah. The thing most people don't understand about insurance is that if you, if I go write insurance now at 42, it's going to cost me more than it cost me to write it when I was 30. Mm-hmm. Cause now I'm more likely to die. It's just the way the mm-hmm. actuarial table works. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's how I explain it to clients. I would like to see them get it outside unless here's the caveat, unless you have something that makes you in a sense, uninsurable through privately held insurance if your group plan will allow you to get insurance without going through underwriting and underwriting just means when you go through underwriting with life insurance or disability insurance, they ask for a full medical checkup. They want to see all your records. And so if you've ever had anything happen to you that would make you uninsurable, then I would want to be able to go get more insurance through my employer with if they don't require the medical benefits or the medical underwriting. Yes. Did I explain that clearly?
1: You did. And I agree with you. I think that your your insurance or your company is nice. It's a nice bonus, but I don't think in, in rare situations, should that be your main policy? Because if you leave employment, um, you can typically take that coverage with you, but it's probably going to be a lot more expensive to underwrite at whatever time that might be. Whereas if you can lock something in at a relatively young age and keep that, that's the best way to go is to do that through a private company. Um, what yes. about disability? So, life insurance, obviously, you need it if you pass away and you have dependents. Your family needs money to live on. What about disability insurance? How do you think about that? What do you think about it? Well, I think it's necessary. I think that, uh, and we talked about this before, but disability is bigger risk than life insurance or than yes. death in many cases. Because if you die, yes, it's tragic, but you know your your family is going to carry on and they're going to have their expenses. If you're permanently disabled, not only is your family going to carry on and have their expenses but they also have you as as kind of blunt as it sounds as an expense, you know, you may have a lot of expenses. Spouse can't go say remarry. I mean, it's, it just creates a burden because now you don't have income. Your family still has expenses. You may have extreme health insurance or health costs at that point. Disability insurance is, it can be far more devastating even than a death can be. So disability insurance Couple of ways to get it. Well, a couple being there's short term disability, there's long term disability. Yep. Short term disability is for a limited period of time. If you have a robust enough uh, emergency fund, which we encourage everyone to have, we've done episodes about that, you probably can save yourself the money and don't get that short term disability. That's why yep. your emergency fund exists is if you need Agreed. that. Long term disability, most people don't have enough money saved and invested to fund a long-term disability, unless they're already close to retirement age. Yeah. So long-term disability typically takes you till 65 or full retirement age and social security kicks in. Yep. If I get disabled today at 33 years old and can't do any work, well, my family is going to have a lot of income needs for a long period of time. Yeah. That's where disability insurance comes in. Typically it's limited to 60% of what your income is while you're working. So if you make yep. 10 grand a month, insurance companies will cover you at six grand a month, which you say, geez, I can't take a 40% pay cut. Well, keep in mind, you're no longer saving to a 401k from that. If you've been paying with after-tax dollars, meaning you're paying your own premium, that 6,000 is tax free as opposed to the 10,000 that's pre-tax. So a lot of things come out of that um, that tend to make it even out at least somewhat. Oh, I agree. So.
0: The, the only things I would add to what you're saying, because I think you nailed all the points already, look at your need if you don't have a a short-term savings if you have little liquidity in your life and short-term disabilities offered go ahead and you might want to choose to elect that for the coming years so you have um your coverage if something happens to you if you already have a really good robust savings plan as james just said you probably don't need it long-term disability however. You should be opting in automatically to most plans. They will do that for you. However, the one thing to check on, and if you don't understand, check with the HR department. Hey, HR department. So James is my HR department. James, can you just explain to me, am I paying that um, long-term disability benefit? So it's considered an after-tax, distri- uh, after-tax payment. So I get the full benefit um, without paying taxes, should I need it? Or are you making that payment on my behalf and I will get those funds after tax. So the mm-hmm. difference is like, imagine to James's point, I make 10,000 a month. I'm going to get a $6,000 benefit. If I'm the one making the payment, which can be a simple, this is why you ask HR, because if, if HR says, no, Scott, like we're paying that for you. I'm just going to say, Hey, HR, how do we set up our benefit So I get to pay that dollar amount. Even if you go ahead and give me a little tiny bump in salary. So I'm making that after-tax payment. Companies do this all the time now. So it makes sure that when I get that benefit, I get the six grand. I don't get a percentage of the six grand. Did I explain that clearly?
1: You did. At the the end of the day, you want to pay your own disability premiums with after-tax dollars. I mean, not the company paying with pre-tax dollars. So that if you need it, it's there tax-free as opposed to being taxable.
0: 100%. Um, I think those are the main things on insurance. From there, we get into smaller, like it's nice to have benefits. Take your time to read through them. It's things like wellness benefits. You see them more and more now. Companies are offering wellness benefits, which could be access to financial planners, could be access to therapists over the phone with like COVID and everything that we went through. A lot of people need to focus on mental health and it's important to, right? Um, It's uh, commuter benefits, legal services. you're going back into work. It's legal services. If you need an estate plan, it's a gym membership so that you're moving your body, right? Like there's all these benefits that exist that if you don't pay attention to them, you don't use them. Then you go use your own after-tax dollars for the same thing. You could be getting a pre-tax benefit by using right. employee benefits. Right.
1: And we, we, didn't to- totally cover it, but deferred comp too. We would include this in stock compensation of this is a time of year a lot of people need to make the deferred comp.
0: I know we- this we- is making it a slightly longer episode, but I think this one is so important. If you're at a company that pays you through stock compensation, this is a wonderful time of year to look at what have you done up to this point this year from a tax planning standpoint, and then also look at what do I want to do next year? So if I've had restricted stock units coming in, you know, a lot of the tech and biotech companies have been beat up dramatically this year in the stock market. Well, you know, your income probably went down this year. So just understand, what do I want to do with that information? Do I want to be selling some of this now to the diversify into other things? Has my thought process on my company changed? What's the percentage of corporate stock that I have that's concentrated? And what's my plan to get out of it? This is work that James and I do with our clients all the time. Also, if you are an executive or a highly highly compensated employee at one of these companies and deferred compensation is offered to you, this is the time to get really mindful about what do I do with my deferred comp next year? Deferred comp, if you're not familiar with that term, means deferred compensation. And what that means is like, let's just imagine James is a high-powered executive because he will be someday at his own firm. But uh, let's just say he's making a million dollars a year. He doesn't need a million dollars a year to live off of, but he's he maxes out everything at work already. He maxes out his 401k and his HSA and after-tax contributions. There's nothing else for him to do. He's a W-2 employee, he's stuck. Well, deferred comp is an answer, potentially. What it does is it allows you to elect a percentage of your compensation, usually your salary and bonus, not your stock compensation, typically. You can go ahead and say, I wanna defer this to not pay taxes on it next year too, please but you have to make that choice before the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And you have to live with that choice for an entire year. So you have to make sure you have enough liquidity on your balance sheet to be okay. You have to understand what do you have coming in in stock comp next year to supplement your salary that you're going to be throwing into a deferred comp plan. Like there's a lot of detail to work through there, but it can be really helpful. And then finally, you can also look at (laughs) ESPP if it's an option for you. Do you want to turn it on? I think we've covered the majority of stock comp.
1: Yeah. I think so too. And again, we're not doing a super, super deep dive into all these as much as these are things that you need to be aware of. If you do have these benefits and you, if you have questions, these are times to reach out to a professional, reach out to your financial planner, reach out to someone in benefits, reach out to someone that really knows how to maximize these because benefits go a long way when you utilize correctly. But if Absolutely. you're not utilizing correctly, you might be leaving a whole lot on the table uh, and- your future yeah. self will be regretting it. So Re- reach out to
0: James that. and his team. This is what he does all day long. Reach out to me and my team. This is what we do all day long. If that's what you're looking for or just listen and learn. If that's what yeah. you're looking for. Um the final thing I would end on is an employee benefit that I see often that I think a lot of people miss, especially if uh, and I'm, I'm I am I am going to say for women in tech and biotech, but men it counts for you too, is um is uh, how do I say, uh, fertility treatments, if you need them in your life, uh, which my my wife and I did need them in our life. We wouldn't have our 10-year-old and four-year-old without them, but many companies are now offering amazing fertility treatment benefits, but you have to know about them and know how to use them. So just see check your benefits to see if they exist. If they do and you're younger and you don't know when you want to have kids, you might choose to do something with it now. If you're married and struggling to have children, you might want to do something with it now. Same thing with adoption benefits. Like the benefits that these companies have now are amazing. But if you don't take the time to look them through, you're just missing out.
1: Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I think well put, well covered. Anything else you want to add to any of this?
0: No, just please, please, please take the time to do this work for yourself If you find something that's beneficial for you and employee benefits, reach out to three of your friends at work and ask, did you know about this? I guarantee they don't. Or if they do, who are the three people they can talk to? Because if you just allow one of you to talk to three and three talk to nine, it exponentially grows and everyone gets better benefits and everyone's a little happier at work and everyone does better work. It's a ripple effect. Go put it to work, please. And for that ripple effect, if you found our podcast today to be helpful, please share it with someone so we can help them because we're only doing this again for like nine more months and then we're out (laughs)
1: because the world
0: will be financially free and literate
1: it'll be a beautiful thing yeah Yeah. awesome cool well i think that covers it thanks scott
0: thank you james
1: we'll see you all next time bye thank you for listening to another episode of the real personal finance podcast if you're enjoying the show please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer in a future episode, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co, and there'll be a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for Scott and I to answer on a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.